Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Rita Driver with All Stars Realty in Memphis, Tennessee. Last year, she closed 410 transactions with a total sales volume of $30 million. Her average sales price was $73,000, of which 25% were buyers and 75% were sellers. She operates a team with five members, one buyer agent, two field reps, one short sale processor, and one team leader. Rita Driver is the team leader of the Driver team. She's been an agent for 20 years and sold over 2,000 homes in her career. In this call, Rita talks about working with your spouse, closing over 100 homes per year from past clients and referrals, making seven figures in GCI, setting a minimum commission, results of advertising on radio and TV, finding and closing short sales, referrals from local agents, Breaking into REO, even if everyone says it's too late. Team dynamics, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's free referralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Rita. Thank you, Mike. I'm glad to be here. Rita, it's great to have you. Before we talk about what you're doing now, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. I was a police officer for the city of Memphis before real estate. Wow. How long did you do that? I was on the police department five years became a training officer for the Memphis Police Department. Prior to that, I was a quality control manager at a um, packaging company. So I've kind of got a, a big background in anything that had officer in it. I liked it. So that was, <laughs> that's what I did. <laughs> Do you have that title now? Do you have officer in your title? Yes. Chief operating officer, chief Chief bill paying officer, <laughs> yeah, and the paperwork officer. Evidently, that's what some of my staff calls me. How did you decide to get into real estate? What happened to to make the switch? That's a great question. Actually, uh, Bob and I, my husband and I, were a husband wife team. He's been in real estate about eighteen years now, and I'm I'm headed into year twenty one. So we were buying house. I was police officer for the city of Memphis. He was a um, safety manager for a large chemical firm in town. We were building a new house. I felt like we weren't being represented properly by the realtors. So I went home one evening. I told Bob, I said, you know, I think they're not really taking care of us. We got down to the closing table. We had to keep our eye on everything every step of the way. Well, we got to the closing table, got ready to close, and they held up our loan. And they held up the house. So I told him, I said, you know, there's got to be somebody better than this. This is ridiculous. They're not representing their clients very well at all. And he said, well, I dare you 
to be the person that takes it over and becomes the better realtor than they are. I said, really? So don't dare me. I'm going to probably take that dare, and I did. Haven't looked back since. We did successfully close on the house. As it turns out, they wanted to buy our house. It was a custom plan, so they wanted to buy it. So if they could stop us, they could get it. So that's why they weren't representing us very well. And that's how I became a realtor. I went to school at 8 to 5, Monday through Friday. And then on Saturdays and Sundays, uh, I was working midnight to 8 in the morning for the police department. And I actually uh, studied for my exam, took the classes, studied for the exam, drove to Nashville, took the exam, became a realtor. Now, did you start in the business part-time or full-time? I started full-time. There's not much part-time about me. At the point where I became a realtor, I uh, chose to leave. At that time, I chose to leave the police department. I talked to a couple of my lieutenants uh, about that, and at the point where I had been a realtor for about eight months, I was working sort of kind of part-time, full-time realtor, full-time officer. Well, two full-time jobs is just a killer. So I talked to a couple of my lieutenants. I was already making more money as a realtor than I made in eight months on the police department and could see the rise in, in the pay and the rise in the status that the police department was limited. It's it's a little bit more political background. So I went ahead and, and became a reserve officer versus a full-time police officer, and I am a full-time realtor. Are you still a reserve police officer? No. A few years after being a reserve officer, they changed a couple of their rules and they kind of wanted more time out of us because a reserve officer isn't paid. It's absolutely a volunteer basis. And I just found that my time was more crunched with showing houses, lifting homes, raising our daughter, taking care of the home. And then when Bob joins me in real estate, the sky was the limit. So we really didn't need to focus any attention in that arena at that time. It sounds to me like you might have had a fast start. My my question is, did you have a faster or slow start? It sounds like things kind of picked up quickly. Is that true? I actually had a very fast start because uh, immediately right out of the gate, we already had a whole lot of people in our background. My husband was a firefighter. He's also employed at a at a chemical facility. I actually had a good background from the police department, so I kind of targeted the people that were like me and like us. So we had a a good following and a good reputation from the start. So that was a positive for me. I did a lot of mailers, a lot of, uh, we didn't have emails much back those days, showing my age. But we did do a lot of mailers, a lot of letters, and I would kind of put a tweak on them, especially if it was to a police crew, because I would kind of tell them, hey, you know, let me uh, be deputy dog and find your house. So we we would do a lot of play on words and have a good time with that. And how long have you been in the real estate business now? I'm headed into year 21. How many homes did you sell last year? 410. Wow. What was the sales volume on that? We were a little over 30 million, I believe, to the last calculation. And I'm probably not the best at keeping up with the dollar volume because our average sales price is much lower than, than many areas across the United States. So we have minimum commissions also, and I kind of judge more by our units than I do the actual dollar volume of what we sold. 
but I can tell you that we grossed a little over, I believe, $1.2 million last year. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. So when you say, just so you, you kind of caught my curiosity, when you say minimum commissions, you have like a flat dollar amount that it's the minimum you'll do a transaction for. Is that correct? Yes. I'm a, a representative for several REO firms. They have flat minimums such as HUD, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, some of those guys. And then we also have a flat minimum X amount of dollars that we will not take on an investor or a seller or a buyer for a flat minimum of X amount of dollars because it's just not feasible or it's too time-consuming for minimal to no return. I'm curious. I'm wondering what the minimum dollar amount is. Can you tell us what your minimum dollar amount is? Yes. My minimum commission is going to be $2,000. So if it's a $10,000 house, you're going to pay me a $2,000 fee to sell the property. I will co-op half of mine. I always co-op half in our area. That's that's how I attract my buyers and, and co-op with other agents. When you're doing these sales, what's one of the smallest properties that you've sold, the smallest dollar amount? <laughs> well, that's a fun one, too. I had a $1,000 home that was a burnout that I sold and made a $2,000 commission. So there's an example. There's an example. Very good. How many how many homes have you sold now in your career? Uh, I believe we're a little over 2,000 homes, and that's not including this year. So I'm a little over 2,000 homes in my career. Well, you're in Memphis, Tennessee. For people that don't know, tell us where is Memphis, Tennessee? Home of Elvis Presley. We are on the eastern bank of the Mississippi River in West Tennessee. Um, Tennessee is a very long and narrow state, so we are about three and a half hours west of Nashville. And everybody knows where Nashville, Tennessee is because that's the country music spot of the world. So we're in home of Elvis Presley, just right on the border of Mississippi, Arkansas, and then just barely bordered by the Mississippi River. Do you know what the population is of Memphis? I do not. Uh, I think the last figure I heard was somewhere around a little over a million in the city itself. So it's a pretty good-sized city. It is. We have the uh, FedEx hub is here, so we've been very fortunate with a good job basis. Uh, we have a military base here, so we've had that as a positive and, and influx and outgo of troops and people over time. Right. It's, it's a metropolitan area. You have suburbs, and I'm just trying to give everyone a picture of where you're at. So you've got a central city and then a bunch of suburbs around it. Does that sound right? Absolutely, yes. We have a lot of bedroom community suburbs. I actually work a tri-county area, so we have three or four counties that I'll actually travel a little further north to a fourth county because that's where I was actually born and raised. So that's home. So I kind of sneak every once in a while when I get an assignment or a property in that county that I'm going to list or sell, and I'll sneak by my mom's home and get get dinner. <laughs> so I may charge a little less commission since I'm going to get to have mama's cooking. Please describe your current real estate market. I'm in this market. We're still seeing a, a rise in our foreclosure market. That's, that's what I'm seeing. I am seeing that the prices have stabilized, especially for REO properties, and they're actually increasing a little bit because the banks are actually demanding a little bit more for the properties. That's the only way we're going to stabilize a community. 
is to stop giving away homes, even if they're forlorn and abandoned. We're actually uh, doing some curb appeals, some renovations in order to help those first-time home buyers be able to qualify to buy the property because not only do they have to qualify, the property has to qualify for a loan and be able to be inhabitable. So on the REO market, I'm seeing still an influx of foreclosures. I'm seeing a stabilizing and actual slight increase in that sale price. And that sale price probably averages somewhere around sixty-five dollars to $75,000 for me and the particular areas that I actually work for my REO properties. Our retail sales, they've actually stabilized. That's where there's no distress, no foreclosure just a normal retail sale that Memphis has not seen probably in the last six or seven years. So we're, we're glad to see that market bouncing back, and we're seeing an average time on market, even of those, running about 90 days. Our REO properties, I'm seeing if they're priced right and they're able to qualify for, especially an owner-occupant, those are running about a 30-day turn time. Short sales, Mike, are a different story. If you were to look out at your overall market, what percentage of the properties are retail sales, traditional sales versus REO and short sales? Uh, I haven't run those numbers. I can tell you that our short sales are running probably about 50% of our market in Memphis. I'm noticing more and more and more short sales out there. I was one of the first agents in Memphis. I was the first agent in Memphis to obtain the CE designation. And I actually had a great corner on the market for a couple of years with that. Now everyone in the world thinks they know how to work a short sale. I still have a lot of agents that will refer a short sale to me because they do not want to deal with it. It's it's just not their cup of tea. We're probably running about 20% back to retail, 50% distressed, and then the rest is going to be various in the sundry, foreclosures, bank sales, family sales, um, investor flips from one investor to another. It sounds like you're starting to develop a niche or a specialization. Could you describe to us what you would classify your niche or specialization as? For some reason, I've gone from, you know, a, a short sales specialist to the queen of short sales, and I'm not real sure how I skipped the princess level, but I did. So, And I always equate a queen with uh, the Wicked Witch of the West or something. <laughs> so I skipped the fun part. I don't know how I did that. But uh, we have a couple of specializations, actually. We've tried to keep our hand in every stream of revenue, whether it was retail, short sale, REO, whatever facet that was. We've actually got two very good niche markets. It is short sales and it is REO. And then I have a, a great one for past clients. We probably have more repeat past client referrals and repeat business than anybody in the city. Yeah, if I understand correctly, your business seems to break out maybe 60% REO right now, 10% short sale, and still 30% traditional referral-based business. Does that sound about right? That's about right, yes. My question to you is, have you always sold REO? No. Actually, we uh, have always been a traditional realtor. We have always worked with past clients, referrals. Uh, like I said, when when I was a police officer, Bob was a firefighter. We, get, we have a lot of following from that. We have a lot of trust factors that police officers are very clandish, and I think you probably heard that over the years. 
they kind of are because it's just a little bit of a uniqueness. Uh, military is, is much somewhat the same way. So we have a connection there. Bob was Marine. So we kind of got a great background in fields where these people, their trust level has to be of such that they will trust you not only with themselves and their money, but their family. So that has been a great kickstart to both of our careers as realtors. And then to continue that, we have just continued to touch our past clients. We touch them every month for seven years. And generally, they have already moved. I've got their children. I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing when their children call and go, Miss Rita, I need to buy a house. And I'm thinking, no, you're only 12. <laughs> you're not old enough to buy a house. And, and some of them are becoming police officers themselves. So, you know, I just take them all and raise them as my kids, and I just treat them like my own, and, and that's been a big secret for Bob and I. We just started the REO business probably, I think, in 20, this is my third year, 2010. Has it been that long? It has not been that long. Why did you do that? Why did you switch or add REO? Well, Mike, for everybody that's listening, they're going to get a cackle out of this. When you're a realtor... Everybody thinks you have deep pockets, and they believe that you have money to buy the newest and greatest and grandest, highest and best, and newfangled toy out there on the market, and it's going to miraculously bring you business. Well, honest to goodness, many, many years ago, I had evidently applied to become a listing agent for an REO firm, a major player REO firm, and I got a phone call one day in uh, April or May of 2010. I hung up on them. They identified themselves as being from such and such, and I hung up on them. I thought they were trying to sell me something. (laughs) 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 Uh, That's so bad. I know. Don't do as I did. For whoever's listening, don't do what I did. Do as I say. Hear them out. They may be legitimate. (laughs) Did they call back? Well, he did. He he called back a few days later, and I actually listened because I thought, gosh, you're persistent. Maybe I need to hear what you got to say, you know. And he identified himself, and he said, before you hang up, I really am with this firm. And I said, oh. And then he started asking me questions. Do you remember making application with us? And I'm thinking, how long have you had that application? And he finally answered me. He said, nine years. Oh, wow. Nine years he had that application. So it took me nine years to get into that. Well, I was still too dumb to realize what I had. So I went to a uh, Star Power conference, and it happened to be in Murfreesboro that year. And I met with two very top, awesome, awesome REO agents, uh, Daryl Isaacs and Tim Cuff. And both of those guys are looking at me and Tim just looked at me dumbfounded. He said, how dumb can you be? I said, well, I don't know. You tell me. He said, girl, give them what they want. You're in. Give them the paperwork. You're missing a boat. And, I mean, they just—they were just laughing at me because they had been so many years since they had that rookie call. They thought it was kind of comical. I didn't understand what I had. So that's when I was hired as an REO agent in August of 2010. And then in January of 2011, I suddenly had a HUD account. So all of it was based off of every bit of that. 
Wow, so that's actually very quick as far as time horizon. You haven't been doing it that long. Let's go back for a minute before 2010. You were already a successful agent selling homes traditionally. How many homes did you sell in your best year prior to entering the REO market? Mm, I think we had a 250-home high year. I want to say that was correct, and I want to say that was around 2005 or 2006. We were working for various and sundry builders right before the uh, bubble burst. I'm not real sure Memphis, the bubble ever burst, because we've always dealt with negative credit and challenges with financing. But we were we were working with builders, developers. We just still had a multi-pronged business plan, which was everybody. Right prior to 2010, we were actually working short sales from 2006 to 2010. I was probably the number one agent in Memphis working short sales. Now you're running this multi-pronged business. Is there a challenge in running an REO business at the same time you're running a traditional business? They seem like they're two different businesses. How do you handle that? I'm very good at multitasking. I enjoy what I do. I love my job. My husband handles a lot of the listing side, and he also shows our repeat clients and customers. He's actually a buyer's agent, more with that, and he actually goes out and handles a lot of our traditional work. I handle the majority of the REO work. So where he's educated and and he's spending his 18, 19 years of experience with our traditional buyers, sellers, and sales, handling more of the distress and the REOs. So to us, it's just it's just business as usual. We've both adapted well to that. Our daughter has grown. She got married in February. Thank goodness we are empty nesters and we love it. Not that we don't love her, but this is all about us and we are just we're just having the time of our life. We're we're working, we're enjoying it, we're pretty honed in together with our goals and what it is that we want to do. And each one of us we kinda of touch base at the end of the day or the end of the night. This is what I accomplished, this is what I accomplished, this is where I'm going tomorrow. And even though we work together, I bet you I see him less working in the same office than most married couples see each other with a regular nine-to-five job. And it sounds like you've divided and conquered. He's generically handling traditional. You're generically handling the the distressed properties. And and that way, you're, you're not trying to do both at the same time, each one of you individually. Right. He will do the majority of the retail listings. I don't really have to get involved in that a lot. I handle all the contracts. He doesn't like to negotiate. He thinks whatever he put it on the market for is what we should get. You know, typical seller mindset. So I love that about him. He has a good time with that. And then when the contract comes through and and he thinks people are asking for the moon, I kind of soft soak it and I'm the one that negotiates. I enjoy that part. I'm the numbers person. So he gets to be the front person with our retail sales. REO is basically it's just you got to know your rules, know your numbers, know where it's going to sell, and understand the different guidelines between each of the uh, vendors or REO companies. And that just happened to be just a weird forte I have. I just I have the ability to remember them. Let's do this. Let's talk a, a little bit about marketing and lead generation. What are your five top ways that you generate leads in business? Our number one way that we generate leads, well, there well, are actually two that are pretty well tied. We are a member of Boomtown. We do pay for that service. I can't speak highly enough of them. We've been with Boomtown for four or five years, five years now, I think. 
when they were a very tiny company and just got started, that I was actually referred to them. I was looking for a lead generation firm. I had one. I was not excited with and, and wasn't really converting. I was introduced to Boomtown by another uh, Star Power star, Craig Hartsfront, and he turned me on to Boomtown. And I love those guys. They set up a pay-per-click marketing strategy, which is totally Internet-based. Our clients love it. Our buyers love it. We take those leads. We incubate. And I round robbing them out to my buyer agents. I don't take any of those leads. I don't want them. Uh, that's a lead generation for them. The number one thing that we do that I get a complaint on all the time about other agents is we are accessible and we answer our phone. That is truly the number one lead generating source that we have, yard signs and answering the phone. People will call me at 8 o'clock at night. I'm still sitting here working because I like to work at night. It's peaceful. It's quiet. And I'm probably getting ready to go to a softball game. I'll answer the phone. And they're talking to me. And I can mentally walk them through the house, talk to them about it. I qualify them. And then I turn them over to one of my buyer agents as a good qualified lead. So you got Boomtown. What else is working for you? Mailer in Memphis still works. We do a lot of mailing. Uh, we have a truck postcard. We stole this from another um, agent many years ago, borrowed it, I guess. We actually took their postcard system, and we have a moving truck, so we took, we stole that idea, too, and it's awesome. And that still works for us in Memphis. Memphis people like to think that they're getting something for free as a perk, and that's what we've given them. We rolled that out in 2001. Actually, we rolled it out September 11th. 2001. That was a bit unique, and I know that we all remember that day. So, and it paid for itself in 10 months. We had enough revenue that we had paid for it, and we just keep giving that as a service. So we have the postcard that has the moving truck on it. When we sell a property, we actually send out two sold cards because it looks like we sell twice as many properties surrounding the property that we sold. What time frame do you separate those two? Do you send them a week apart or how how far apart? Sometimes I'll send them immediately when I come under contract, and then I'll send them again when it when it closes. Oh, okay. So you're sending out like a, an under contract postcard and then a sold postcard? Well, I'm sending out a sold postcard because under contract to us it is sold because we can't continue to market it. That's just a little, I understand it's a little bit of a mind game and a mindset, but that's exactly what we do. When it comes under contract, if we want to pick up some more listings or have some more buyers for that surrounding property, not all properties will qualify for like the $1,000 house. I, I didn't send any postcards out <laughs> <laughs> around that property um, for various and sundry reasons. However, uh, if, we've got a, if we have a nice home that we have sold, whether we have the buyer or we only have the seller, We'll actually send out the just-sell postcard when it comes under contract, and we're comfortable that it's going to close, and then we'll send it again uh, maybe a week after closing. They're about 30, 45 days apart, depending on your closing time. Right. Exactly. And it's just a reminder is all it is. Hey, you know, we're, and welcome your new neighbor. Do you have any specific call to action in those postcards that's working well for you? Do you offer a free CMA or in a free list of homes? Is there anything you're saying other than, hey, we sold the home down the street? Yeah, because we have a picture of the moving truck on the front that the use the driver team use the truck for free. So that's what they get. I mean, anybody can give them a CMA and anybody can 
you know, the things that used to be that were we thought as a perk since in modern technology, the Internet, we are no longer the gatekeepers of all the information. So now we have to give them something else that no one else is giving them. Uh, in my city, no one else has a moving truck. And then we did kind of do a little tweak to that. Bob did it. He came in one day with this little number three as a sticker, and he put the number three on the side of the truck. It's unit number three. People think they see our truck everywhere, and it's unit number three. Well, we only have one truck. So, you know, that, that, I mean, that was pretty cool. So he, he uh, gets kudos for that. Are you doing anything with radio or television? Yes, we did. We actually were working with a radio station here. We did a 30-minute program every Sunday morning. We started at an hour, and we would actually interview different people in our industry. It would be a closing attorney or a pest control person, an alarm person, an insurance person, um, a home inspector, and we would give them different aspects, a lender, a loan originator, uh, a closer, an appraiser, and we would give them different aspects of the industry and what to expect. And even though we couldn't give them legal advice there or tell them exactly how to do it, it was more of an educational program. So I think our timing was probably bad because Sunday morning at 10 a.m., everybody else is generally, we're in, the, we're in the southern states, so we're in the Bible Belt. Everybody's getting ready to go to church or already at church. So we didn't really see a whole lot of value in that at the time or repercussions from it. So we dropped the radio. We tried it once again. It didn't work for us. I will tell you they are a very strong company that's still out there. They're doing a fabulous job. It works in some people's markets. It just didn't particularly fit mine. So we switched to television. And we just uh, we have an ad that runs now probably once or twice a week each month. But we hit it hard and hit it strong last year. We did a custom ad with one of our local news channels, and it has been phenomenal. The response is awesome. It's more name recognition and more face recognition and, and company recognition than it is, yes, I saw you on television and I gave you a call. So it's just kind of embedded us in the, in the people's mind. Good money spent. You've been using Boomtown. Do you use any other websites or software online? Yes, Real Pro Systems I love too. They have a great system. I believe Rob Levy and Galen Haas are the guys that have that. We do have Real Pro. I'm not using their lead generation generation system, but I do use it as a um, contact management. And I do have another lead generating system that is coming on board. It's in its uh, infancy that we have, I guess, invested in, for lack of a better word. And we're starting to see some results from that as well. And I've actually got those leads going through my real pro system so that we're lead captured there. We are not converting those as well at this time as we will be because it's, like I said, still in its infancy stage. This is probably month two that we've actually had that in place. Oh, and what company is that? FindYourPerfectHome.com. And I believe there are hyphens between the words. Okay. So if somebody types that into Google, it'll pop up. Now, is that your company or is that a company that somebody else is running? Uh, that is not my company. We are, I think, considered an investor in that company because we put a little money in there. But the return for us is not monetary. It's our leads. 
and that's the fruit that we want to gather. Great. Well, we'll have to follow up with you and see how that works out. You've generated a lot of referrals in over the years from other agents. How does that work? Actually, I think that some of that is just agents are kind of not always pleasant from one to another, and it just depends, I guess, on the attitude of each of the two individuals generally on the phone. But over the years, and I've been here, like I said, I'm going into year 21, Bob and I have both always tried to embrace every other realtor, and if they are new, we want to help them and educate them because there was a, a realtor when I was brand new that I was almost intimidated to call, and I'm not easily intimidated by anyone, but he was a big heavy hitter, a, a very, very excellent top agent in Memphis, Tennessee at his time. And he treated me with respect and decency, and he actually helped me through the process of selling my first home. And I just kind of took that knowledge, and I took that experience, and Bob and I put it into our business as we grew. So the new agents, you know, if they tell me that they're new and they don't know what they're doing, I love that because I'll tell them, hey, I don't know what I'm doing either, so let's just do it together. And it just kind of breaks the ice and it keeps you going. Well, these guys, as they may or may not have made it economically in our industry, they turn to us to sell their homes, give us their book of business, refer their friends and family. Then we have another level of expertise, which is if there are REO closings or REO sales or short sales, a lot of the realtors in our city do not want to take the stress or the time to get involved in a short sale because they see it as a fruitless fight, and I see it as a great challenge to save somebody. So it's, it's, it's the difference in how we view it. So we have a lot of realtors refer business that way as well. And it's just by keeping in contact with them, always treat them with respect and dignity, and help them. You know, you've probably done a lot of different marketing over the years. What is the worst? What is the worst marketing method you tried? It didn't work. And if you could advise somebody, you'd say, you know, I tried that and it was terrible. You should not do that. What was the worst marketing method you ever tried? Our worst marketing method was one particular radio advertisement. For our market, it did not work. It, it just it did not work. To our market, the feedback we got was it was kind of like a bait and switch, a guaranteed buy program. We can't guarantee to buy your house if you're upside down, you're eight months behind, and you're about to face foreclosure. And those were the particular types of calls we would get. Or it would be a call of, you know, I need you to come on over here and buy my house, and this is how much I want for it. Well, that's not how the program was designed. That's not how the program was set up, and that's just not how we work. So that was probably the worst thing that we ever did. Not that it's not good for others. It just didn't work in our market. You've had a long relationship with past clients, your sphere of influence. They're referring their kids to you. Let's talk about your past clients and sphere of influence business for a minute. I assume you have a database. How big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? I have a database of a little over 7,000 people that we actually mail to. All of our past clients, a little over 2,000 past clients are in that database. And then we also have 
a database that where we have taken in not only our clients, but we call them orphans. And this is not a new industry term to anyone, but orphan clients. Because if we have a co-op agent sale, I put them right in my database and I take them right up just like they're mine. And we get a lot of repeat business from that because the agents who have stamina to stay here, hats off to us. I, it's a hard business. It's not easy. And it's it's a stressful business in some ways if you let it get to you. We've taken those people over the years and we've set them up and we've actually put them on our mailing campaigns or we've put them into our email database and they hear from us too. So that's another source of past clients and referrals. Their realtor may be out of business now or they didn't like them. I've got uh, a sale right now that's a little above average. I want to say I sold it for $155,000 that was a past client of an agent that used to work with me and they remembered that she didn't quite take care of them as well as what they had expected for whatever reasons and they recalled that she came to me as her broker at that time and I had to step in and help. So they have actually come back to me to sell their home I guess six, seven years later. So uh, you know, and we have. We've had it on the market about 30 days, and we have a very good offer and getting ready to close. So we'll actually have a referral from him for his brother's house that he lives across the street. How do you stay in touch with your database? Do you have a, a schedule that you follow to make sure you're staying in touch with them? And if so, what are you doing to stay in touch with them, and how frequently are you doing it? It's real hard, Mike. <laughs> Actually, no. I'm I'm a very simple, old-school person. I'm still using agent online, online agent, office agent, 2000, whatever that's called now. It's changed names almost as many times as my company has over the years. But, you know, it's automatic. I, I log in. I keep the database updated because when I close out files at the end of a couple of weeks or, or every month, however frequently I close them out, I personally put those in because I want to make sure I put them in the right category so that we touch them in the right way. And since Memphis is a very touchy-feeling market, most of our clients still love to get a letter because email and text messages are a little bit more impersonal. They still love to get a letter or a postcard or something. So that's exactly what I do. I still do the snail mail, so that's kind of cool too. And then um, when I see them, I play a lot of softball. Bob's handed me notes over here. I play a lot of softball, and I play ball with a lot of my past clients. So some of those guys, literally, I'm touching every week because I'm in front of them. I see them. I'm playing softball against them or with them, and we do a lot of charity tournaments, softball tournaments. I'm just a sports person, so we have a good time with that. How often do you try to mail out a letter or postcard to your past clients? Once a month, at least once a month. And on those cards, what message are you sending out? Well, actually, more of those are letters. Uh, they're Dave Beeson's seven years of letters, and then we just tweaked a couple of them the way we wanted them. Actually, we were pretty successful with, uh, over the last couple of years, we would put in, or three years, I guess, we would actually put a slip of colored paper into the letter, too, that would fall out in their lap when they opened it up. And that that slip of colored paper would tell them, because we didn't want to draw attention to any one of our clients that had maybe a financial distress, 
but we did want to draw their attention to that if they knew someone with a financial distress, we could help them. And believe it or not, I had people coming up to me at church that received the letters, and they would they would immediately tell me, "Really, now we're not in trouble, but my girlfriend's daughter is, or my son-in-law is, or my, you know, somebody is, my coworker is." So that actually worked well in those letters. It's not necessarily that they're reading the letters and getting a lot from them or gleaning a lot, although there are good tips in there. It's just more staying in front of them, letting them know, hey, I'm still here if you've got a question. Uh, they'll call every year when we have a tax assessment, every two years when we have a new tax assessment and they're going to raise some taxes. Well, there's a way that they raise taxes without raising the rate. They raise the value of your home. So a lot of my clients will call and go, hey, can you run a market and let me know if I need to go fight the new assessment or if it's on target? So it, we give them a, a fountain of information. Just all they have to do is pick up the phone and call. So you're sending out one mail piece a month. Are you also making a certain number of phone calls per year into your uh, past client database? No, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'd like to tell you that we were, but no, we're not doing that. I haven't found that necessary because we're getting such a good, phenomenal return. Our clients are a bit unique. One of my mortgage lenders told me one day, she said, you have more of a past client following that calls you for various and sundry reasons that have absolutely nothing to do with selling or buying a house. My clients won't generally even refinance their house until they have called me and find out what the rate is, who is the lender I prefer for them to go to, and who are they going to close with. That's really deep in that family. When you get in that family that deep, you you know, when you're their financial advisor to whether they should refinance or not, and you know that their kids are at this college and this one's in this degree and that one's in that degree, they've kept up with us. They're the ones triggering the phone calls into me. Do you do any kind of past client appreciation event? We have done a few over the years. Like I said, we play softball. I play softball. Bob rides motorcycles. So we have two different things that we do. We actually participate more instead of client appreciation events. We participate more with our past clients in multi-levels. He goes on a lot of bike rides. So for charity, if someone, I think he had one this last weekend for a little girl that has some sort of a, she was born with cancer. Uh, leukemia, I believe. So he did a charity ride this last weekend. He gets to meet up with thousands of people that some of them we sold houses to, we get referrals from. We've got one we're working with right now, and that's exactly how he met up with her, was at a charity bike run. I am working with the softball teams, and uh, I recently have become a member of a um, Bartlett Parks and Recs advisory committee. So we're in the public and we're seeing these people all the time. So as far as an appreciation party, I really don't have to have one because every night at the ball field for seven months during the summer is an appreciation party. And I'm giving money to charities and we're all playing softball and having good clean fun. Bob's giving money to charities and riding his motorcycle and having good clean fun. So those are our those are our parties. Let's switch over for a minute and talk about your REO business. I think a question that people would have right now is, is it too late to get into the REO business? 
no. I don't think anything is ever too late. If you wait for the right time, then you're too late. I don't know what to say to that. I, I've never stopped trying to get business. So, I mean, and that's just a very candid answer. I don't, I don't even know what to say to that. I'm in Memphis, Tennessee. Maybe my market is different than everyone else's, but there are always financial distresses. There are always reasons for someone to not pay for their home, whether it be incarceration, a death, a divorce, a child, illness, sickness. There's always some reason they lost their job, they can't keep their job. Whatever the reason is, there are always foreclosures. I don't know that we're ever going to have a time in America that we do not have foreclosures. So REO is a good business at any time. I think what is shying a lot of people away right now is that they're not, they're giving up. Kind of like I had done nine years ago, I applied to become a representative, a, a listing broker for XYZ firm, and then they call me up out of the clear blue. Nine years later, do you remember making this application? Well, I can't remember what I had for dinner yesterday. I can remember who I talked to, but no. <laughs> So don't ever give up. I think they should continue to apply. You keep applying and you keep trying and start with one asset, bust your butt, and show them you can do it. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. How would an agent who wants to get an REO, how would they approach that in today's market? What would you recommend they do? Well, exactly what I've done. I share openly and frequently with everybody all the time. You know, you've got to apply. You can go to the websites for Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Homesteps.com. Fannie Mae is HomePath.com, HUDHomeStore.com, PIMCO, Euphorian, HomeTellus are all of the different vendors for HUD properties in my area. Go and, and make yourself known. Talk to some of the banks, some of your local lenders. They'll have foreclosures. Go talk to them. Ask them, just give me one house. Let me try. If you can get into just one door with one REO, you're an REO Use that to your benefit and make that the best darn REO property that they've ever seen. Price it right, take care of it, monitor it, give them feedback and information, and get it sold and closed with the least hassle to them. And I can I can add a couple of things to that. Go to the events, five-star conference in Dallas. I go every year. I've been going for the last three years. Since I became an REO agent, that was my first exposure to that event. I was, oh my gosh, it's incredible. You make a lot of connections. You meet a lot of people. And sometimes it's not always running up to the asset manager. If you can talk to their support groups, field services, and all of these guys, you know, and just kind of treat each other the way you want to be treated, the backbiting, backstabbing, calling in, complaining on the agents that have the business, is not the way to get the business. Matter of fact, that's the fastest way to keep you from getting any business. 
So are there other events that you recommend? You said five-star conference. Is there another one that you'd recommend that agents who want to learn about REO should go to? I have gone to the REO Con conference a couple of times in Fort Worth, Dallas, or right outside of Fort Worth, Dallas. I've gone for two or three years to that. That's, that's a more intimate setting. That's a nice one to go to. I believe that they hold those conferences across the United States in various and sundry places about four times a year. Just Dallas happened to be the place of my choice because it's warm, it's south, and I didn't have to fly. So <laughs> uh, that was really nice. <laughs> but uh, I believe they hold them in Florida and California and then somewhere up north. I'm not real sure where. But those are a good conference. You can get online and take training, uh, ResNet. Res.net is a great place to get some training. Get on board there. You can you can do a lot of this from your desktop at home, and you don't even have to spend money to travel to go to anything. But if you're going to spend money for REO business, the five-star conference in Dallas, Texas, the first week in September is the absolute must to attend. They will have a lineup of speakers. They'll have asset managers. Each one of them will tell you if they've got an opening in your area, you know, it's absolutely mind-blowing, the information and knowledge you come out of it with. Let's switch gears again and, and talk about short sales. Sounds like you have a, a pretty strong expertise in short sales. Let's first start with where the agents find short sale leads in business. We just began diligently staying on top of the news. We started with newspapers. And that's what Bob did uh, for two months. He was calling the local newspaper, trying to talk to one of the reporters about, hey, you know, people have a solution. They don't have to end their life. And they don't have to walk away. They don't have to starve their family. You, it, there's another option. So we finally, finally got through to him. He finally printed a story in the Commercial Appeal, which is our local newspaper, and immediately one of the local news channels picked it up and came and interviewed me that day. So that's honestly how we got the recognition and the start for the distressed properties. You're getting referrals from other agents that you mentioned earlier that don't want to handle short sales. Somehow you've put out the message that you are able to handle them. Is that just word of mouth or did you go out and advertise that somehow? We did a little bit of both. When short sales were not a buzzword in our industry, we were already working those. I think I started a couple of them in like 2002 or three. Of course, then they were extremely difficult and, and truly you're, someone had to have died in order to get a short sale through and then it was still like pulling hen's teeth. At 2006 and seven, we were already in full swing with short sales in our area. I can recall the day of having five phones on my desk and being on hold on five lines with, please hold on, and anybody that does short sales remembers that song because it was the only one they ever played while you're on hold music. And I just was, oh my gosh, it would just, I'd go to bed at night listening to it. And, uh, you know, so we, we started working short sales. We were successful at getting them closed. We had the patience for a year's worth of work. That word kind of got out there, word of mouth to other agents. They would call me and tell me, hey, we can't wait a year for a paycheck. Would you help these people? And I get some that still come to me. I don't want a referral fee. 
I just want you to help them. They're my friends. But I do pay a referral fee. It is a smaller referral fee on a short sale because it does take so much stress and time from my staff because we do not hire that out. We do not send it out this door. I work them right here in-house in my hands. Rita, what are the keys to getting a short sale closed? Diligence and guts. With the short sale lenders, most of them are kind of on board now. They still like to pull some tricks. It depends on, just like a real estate company may not be the company, but it's the agent that you have the relationship with. Well, the bank may not be the relationship. It's going to be that negotiator. If you can get that negotiator or that process set up person to understand and to help you, you're going to have a whole lot easier time than you are if you're just a number back up in there. But it's absolutely persistence. And I I have literally picked up the phone and told some of them that they were nuts. Give me a supervisor. And I'm not going away until I get one if I have to fly to where you are. So you can get somewhere else, and I just don't take no for an answer until I have to. The market has improved for short sales. The environment has improved for short sales. Banks have come on board a lot more than they were back in 2006, 7, and 8. Uh, they have more, more and better systems in place. How long is it taking you to close a short sale in today's market? I'm still running anywhere from 90 to 180 days. That is going to be, I'm not getting a whole lot of, um, in Memphis, I'm just not getting a whole lot of predetermined short sale prices. We're still just, we're not churning that way. I just never got into the whole, hey, let's just put them all in there and see which ones shake out to be approved for a short sale. I mean, I'm still working them where they have to be. A hardship, and the, and they're truly still coming to me that way. So I run my market, put them on the market, and then I get that process started. Because as much as what everybody always says, well, you know, we'll pre-approve you for a short sale. I'm still experiencing that there's nothing they're going to do with it until you have a buyer, and they'll open up the file and then they'll shut it down, and they'll open up the file and they'll shut it down. So things change, and the way the market and the economy is changing. Every three months, the values are still changing drastically or shifting drastically. So we have to start the process again anyway. In my market, I have a lot of agents that will call and they'll ask me, hey, is this short sale pre-approved? And I'll tell them, yep, sure is, at full price to pay off the loan. I know that sounds like a smart like answer because it's intended to be one because I don't believe in a pre-approved short sale. You're not going to give me what I'm asking anyway. You're going to want to negotiate for the best of your client. Well, that's awesome. The bank already told you what they want, and you're still not going to give it to me. So that's my feeling. It's almost a little bit of a – those are very emotional for me. I love my short sales, and they're very emotional for me. I don't don't like to deal with investors on them unless they're willing to wait, and they're not going to steal the house from the client. It's just not the way the game is played. And they're going to have to be very mindful and respectful – in my opinion, towards my short-selling client of their feelings because it, that, too, is a process. You've got to love the people, and you have to be doing it for the right reasons. I get the impression that you you believe you're going to protect 
the seller. You get in the mode of protector and you're fighting for that seller. And that's why you mentioned a minute ago, the emotion starts to come up. Is that the way you approach these transactions is that you are protecting and fighting for these sellers? Yes, uh, that's exactly how I take it. I recently had one who are um, extremely involved in their church and they've been fighting with their lender for a modification, a forbearance, a multitude of different ways to save their home. A family of four, uh, your, your average American family, husband, wife, daughter, son, and a dog. So we had it all going on here. Nice home, decent job, job loss, done everything they could possibly do, submitted every piece of paperwork and just a first and a second on the property because the second was acquired to bail them out when there was another job shift about five or six years ago. You know, just they've done everything they they could do and they did it all the right way. And the last answer was either foreclose or bankruptcy. Well, from the religious background they have and being stationed in their church as they are stationed, Bankruptcy wasn't an option, and foreclosure was an absolute embarrassment to have to give up their positions in the church. Well, I don't, I don't think you have to go that route. There's another solution. And basically, by the time I took the property, I, it was referred to me by an attorney. So I have a lot of attorneys in town that refer me business to, either for short sales, divorces, financial problems, whatever the case may be, just different reasons, this attorney calls and he says, hey, you know, I need you to help this guy if you can. So we got the property sold under contract, excellent offer. The first mortgage finally approved. The second mortgage wanted to be a jerk. Well, we actually went down the road to, I pulled another trigger in the 11th hour they were ready to foreclose, and we stopped it with a bankruptcy action from a bankruptcy attorney that is a friend of mine that we actually wrote him a letter, look, this is where we're going to be. So you can play ball with us and play by the guidelines, or you can face another consequence. Was it a hardball strategy? Absolutely. Was it a, the last ditch? You got it. And... The funny part was that the attorney who referred it to me wasn't willing to make that stand and fight. I had to go get another attorney to do that. And I love it because the attorneys will sit on the phone and they'll just let me jack them up all day long. And then I've got the legal expert behind me to support what I'm telling them we're gonna, we're gonna be able to deal with. That family left the closing table in total tears, hugging and thanking me and that God put me in their life. I don't necessarily know that. I can just tell you that that's what it's all about. They still call me now, and this has just been a couple of months. They still call me now. Hey, just wanted to say hi, checking on you. You know, we want to keep up with you because in a couple of years we're ready to buy, and we are calling you. Sounds to me like you're tenacious. Yeah, that's a nice way of putting what I've been called before. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple times. No, uh, yeah. I just, I just don't give up. I mean, as long as that homeowner doesn't give up, I can't do it by myself. And I ask them that on the front end. Don't help me unless I ask you for help. I do not need your help. I just need you to give it to me 
Let me take the burden. Let me worry about it. You take care of your family because I can't take care of your family the way you can, but I can take care of this. As long as they work with me, this gentleman worked with me beautifully. The minute I called him, I told him, we've got to call this attorney. He's on standby waiting for your call to authorize me and him to place these calls that we're going to have to place and and put it where it's going to have to go because it was definitely deserving of a legal arena because the second lender was trying to do something that they legally could not do by the guidelines and they were going to force a foreclosure. In the short sell arena, is there any kind of software that you use to try to track these things to make sure you're you're covering all your bases? Yeah, my brain. <laughs> uh, that's almost a sad answer, isn't it? I don't use any of the software programs. I'm aware that there are several of them out there. I'm actually pretty proficient with Equator. Most of the lenders are going to Equator. Some of our REO people are going to Equator now, and I love that system. It's like any other system. You have to know how to use it and just play with it. It'll work its own bugs out. It's not perfect. It's man-made. It's, it is what it is. But Equator system, if it can be worked through Equator, that's exactly where we work it. There's no point in having two or three different systems. I do use Broker Brain, which is a system that I pay for monthly to work my REO properties, my BPOs, any BPOs I need to give for my short sales. I can use that as a contact management, and I can use it as a resource to go back and pull information on what I've closed. Because Equator, once a property closes out and once you have successfully worked through the short sale process, that property goes away and it's closed out and those files are no longer in your your possession. So I keep a hard file on everything for Equator, but as far as any other systems, no. We've got a hard file. We keep the file. Matter of fact, I keep them in my office at my desk, lined up in a little cubby hole where you put papers. You see them in the in copy rooms a lot. I label each one what file it is, and I know who the sellers are, and I know their social security numbers by heart. I know their loan numbers by heart, and I know their address by heart. So that's that's how much I can keep up with them. It's just me. How many short sales can you handle at any given time? We generally have about 30 in process most any time. I might not remember where I parked my car, but I can tell you whose house is what. Rena, let's do this. Let's talk about your team. Tell me who's on your team. We're actually structured very lean and mean. We actually have a very small team. None of my buyer agents, nor Bob, no one handles the REO, so let me kind of structure and start there first. I actually have two support staff for my REO. One is in the road with me because I see every REO property I get, all of them. I can tell you what's in them, but I I think that's a huge part of my success in REO because when I talk to my asset managers, I can tell them I've been to this house, this is what's wrong, this is what's needed, this is what the loan is going to require. We will never close on this property at this price. We'll not close on this loan. I can tell them that if that's invaluable information. So I have not structured up as um, a big corporation where I sit behind my desk all day and everybody else does all my work. I'm actually in the field too, and I have one other 
person who is in the field daily as well, and it's actually a female. When I filled her job position, I was looking for a guy because Memphis is a rough city. And I, and I, I mean, I share that very openly because you can look at the crime stats across the United States. We're always in the top five of almost anything. So I literally carry a weapon everywhere I go, and it's known. So she does, too. We've actually licensed her. She had a license to carry at one time. I have actually assisted her in relicensing, and she's phenomenal. She goes out, takes our photos. I go with her. We do our know your options. We do our postings. We let everybody know we're there. We room measure photos. Whatever damages are there, we do everything. And then from that moment forward, when we get the listing or the, the broker price opinion is due in, I'm actually, I'm the one that sends in the broker price opinion because pricing is key. It's very key to my properties. And nobody in my office knows the city like I do, nor the community, nor the price and values. Just, again, it's just my thing that I've always focused on. So she'll bring it back in upload our photos. She's got her own system, her own little checklist that she's made up. We have the same way. She's the person that removes signs and key boxes, puts them out, puts them into the system to be shown, puts them in the MLS. So she kind of is by right arm on the uh, REO properties. Then I have another young lady who is responsible for helping me with my short sale processing, just with scanning and uploading documents and paperwork not communicating with banks so much, but scanning, processing, putting them up, gathering the documents from the seller that we're going to need, getting that entire checklist filled out, ordering the mock HUD, ordering the attorney's office to go ahead and pull a title so that we can make sure we're clear. She also enters my MLS listings a lot of times, especially short sale retail, and then she'll also assist me with my uh, reimbursements for my different REO managers. She assists with all of the billing, so she handles that. And then I've got two part-time staff that help me with answering phones, uploading information for a BPO, runner, whatever it is that I need them to do. Go sit and have utilities turned on at a property or whatever I need them to do. Then I've recently taken on a virtual assistant who is handling some auxiliary BPO work for me just fill in the blanks. I send him the comps and he fills in the blanks so it just kind of mitigates my time behind the desk so I can go out in the field and do something else. He's also working um, email drip campaigns in Boomtown for our buyer leads, Real Pro, and he handles our virtual tours. So he actually accesses our server and puts together our virtual tours after we've uploaded all the photos. So we have a small staff. That's handling all the REOs. What about the traditional side? Uh, that's handling all of them. The traditional side is uh, exactly the same with the girl who handles the short sales and MLS. She's handling the traditional side. She handles that too. So the traditional sales, Bob goes out or I go out, and we actually take the photos and get the paperwork filled out. The short sales, all of those I do. I handle all those listing documents and all that paperwork on site. Some of mine will be distressed because of a divorce. I'm actually named in the divorce decree as the realtor. So the judge has already ordered that I will be the realtor so that there's not a fight with those two individual divorcing parties. 
their attorneys know who I am. They've all agreed, and then I communicate with them. Everything works the same way. We bring it in and hand it over to one of those two ladies. Did I get that right in my count? Do you have five total people, everybody, you and Bob, and there's three assistants? Yep. Five people are closing 410 transactions. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever sleep? (laughs) Yes, I do, actually. And more and more, the older I get, actually. Yeah, we actually do sleep. I have a coach. I have a business coach, and she's phenomenal. She lets me kind of vent, and then she refocuses me a little bit, and I love that, too. But, yes, I have learned because it hasn't been very many years ago. We had zero support staff. It was Bob and I. And when we got down to where, I think one day at lunch he was asking some other realtors at the table, how many transactions can you handle in a month comfortably without something falling through the cracks? And they would say anywhere from five to nine in a month. And I was closing 17 or 18 that month. And that was just he and I, us, just us. So it was everything that went on, it's what he and I were touching. And that, I think, opened his eyes, and he said, holy cow, you know, then I guess you're okay to be stressed out and such a bitch. I said, well, (laughs) because he was really nailing me at home because I was tired, I was exhausted, I was hungry, and I wasn't getting a lot of sleep, but that's a lot of transactions for one or two people to handle every piece of paper. So we, we learned at that time, then we, we hired one part-time assistant, buyer agent, slash, you know, everything else kind of Girl Friday, and we kind of built from there. But it's in the last three years since we did take on the REO, we knew that was a lot of work, a lot of pressure, and a lot of details that we can't let fall through the cracks. So we actually have an appointment desk that schedules the desk the appointments for our retail sales as well as our REO. I don't have to worry about that. I've outsourced that. They give us our feedback. The girls process it. They rotate out the calls for our buyer agents, so that gives me a little bit of free time. And then we've learned to just shut it off and go play ball or ride motorcycles or whatever it is that we're going to do. Well, I've got to ask a question. Are you the broker of this office? Do you do you run the office as well, or... Are you working under someone else's license? No, it's mine. I'm kind of selfish that way. I like to do things my way, and it's my way. And this is my office. I um, I went through a bad business divorce, for lack of a better word, in 2006. And my attorney at that time, I handpicked. And if you're going to do anything, get the best there is. And I did. And I got the best attorney there was, and he got me out. It took me eight months to get out, but we got out, and he made me promise at that point in time, no more P word in my vocabulary, so partner does not exist. I have had to turn around and give him those same words back recently, <laughs> but uh, he and I remained friends. He's actually my closing attorney. I absolutely adore him. I call him little brother because over the last seven or eight years, we have become really good friends. Our families are friends. He refers us business. He does my closing. But we don't we don't have any partners. I'm not going to partner. I do own All Stars Realty. I am the broker, managing broker. I told you I get to clean the toilets too. I mean I get to do it all. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> now 
uh, talking about your your company, your team here, you've been working with Bob. It sounds like you've been working together for, if I counted up, 18 years. How do you make that work, working with your spouse? <laughs> Honestly, Bob is sitting here, and, and I would love for you to uh, let me answer it, and then I'll pass the phone to him if you want, and he can answer that because his answer will be different from mine, I can promise you. We've been working together for a long time. Uh, I married my best friend, and I can honestly say that. We've been married 26 years in July, so we're we're pretty content with that. But his answer is that I'm the boss at work and I'm the boss at home. But truly, he puts up with a lot from me, but he knows that I'm focused on taking care of our family, taking care of the office, taking care of our team, our staff, and our auxiliary team. So I'm I'm very focused on making sure that everything is handled in a timely fashion. And he just kind of gets out of the way. He does his own thing. He doesn't micromanage me. And I learned a long time ago you can't micromanage him either because that's where we clash. Other than that, I mean, we have a normal, probably a very healthy, happy relationship over a lot of people that are together, honestly, a lot more time during the day than what he and I really are. And, Mike, I'm going to hand Bob the phone so that you can ask him that question, if that's okay with you. <laughs> that sounds great. Hi, Mike. This is Bob. Hi, Bob. Nice to meet you. Well, pleasure meeting you, too. Bob, I got a quick question for you. You and Rita have been working together now for 18 years, your husband and wife. How do you make that work? How, how do you work with your spouse? Well, I'm going to give you a couple of secrets. <laughs> I've heard them said before. And uh, I've got a few things that I live by. Number one, God gave me two ears and one mouth. And I can win most arguments by yes, dear. In addition to that, a lot of people call me Mr. Reader Driver, but she is truly the boss at work. And and realistically, I'm the boss at home. So I'm the homemaker and I maintain things around here. I'm kind of like a guy Friday. I do the uh, I work as a buyer's agent with past clients, and I do listings and, and uh, various things like that. I don't work a whole lot on the marketing o- other than I do take a few leads and help manage uh, the buyer's agents to a certain uh, degree, but mainly it's her her project. I'm just here to support her. Whatever makes her happy is makes me happy because if she ain't happy, I ain't going to be happy. I mean, that's just the way I look at it. But, we are best friends, and that helps a lot. And um, we have, I guess you might say, distinct roles and distinct responsibilities. We just kind of fell into, she kind of fell into managing. I'm, we both have the same personality type in a way that we both of us like to be the director. But I realize that um, her energy level, mine, may not be the same thing. And she's got some skills that, I really don't have. So we kind of capture on each other's skills. Uh, uh, and I believe one of her big skills is uh, she's a supreme negotiator. She can take a negative situation and turn it into a positive every time. She turns lemons into lemonade every day. And I just uh, respect and love her for that. I'm, I don't quite have that savvy. I'm not as quick on my feet as she is. And um, certainly couldn't measure up to her in those areas. So she has to, the way our state set up, only one person's in charge in the office, and that is the person that's held accountable for everything. I, uh, when it comes to new information, 
and new systems, new marketing, and things like that. I usually, uh, and even back to the short sales, even uh, not, you know, just to include that, I usually am the the front person out in the front initially doing the interview or initially checking out what new system that we may pick up. And then uh, if I determine it's a good deal, then uh, she looks at it. We don't always agree, but uh, I found over the years if I didn't have too many opinions in the beginning, then once I did open my mouth and express myself, she would always listen. And so that's another one of my secrets. Having a, being a good friend and a, and having a good marriage. You gotta be able to take the back seat, you know, sometimes and be the best support you can. And I guess that's about it. Bob, that's awesome. Well, thank you. It sounds to me like the way you all make it work is you compartmentalize. You compartmentalize. You both have deep personalities, so you put each of you in control of different areas of the business and different areas of your life, and that way you're not clashing, as you mentioned earlier, by trying to micromanage each other. Does that sound true? That would sound true, yes. Except he doesn't have as high a deep personality as I do. His is more of a outgoing I personality. I'm kind of a chameleon. I'm a D in private and an I in public, and he's... He's all I all the time, but he gets down to business when, when he has a job to do. So, yeah, we just stay out of each other's way that way, and it's worked beautifully. Well, Rita, I know there are going to be agents out there. They're listening to what we're talking about. They're getting a picture of your business model, and they're, they're probably asking themselves, is your business profitable? We are probably the most profitable company in Memphis that I'm aware of, real estate-wise. We're very blessed. We're very fortunate. We do not overspend. Our goal, we have a goal by January of 20, January 1, 2017 to be totally debt free. We bought our office in 2009, a little distressed property, bought it, renovated it, borrowed 120 grand on it and paid it off in three years. So it's all ours. So we paid off lots of debts. The only thing we owe for right now is our home and rental property. That's it. So we are, we're highly profitable. We've got our, our monies put up for our staff because I don't take on staff until I know I can, I can pay for them because I don't like to bring them in and then let them go. We just don't function that way. I think that we take on their family when we take them on and there has to be a level of security for them to be able to function at their highest and best. And if they're on pins and needles every day wondering if they're going to be paid or if they're going to have a job tomorrow, I don't think anyone can function at their best because you're not comfortable, you're worried about something else. So we try to make that a top priority for our team. They come before we do, and we make sure that they are taken care of, they're handled, and they're, that's the first thing we say for every year is the salary. Agents are out there, they're trying to put together their business plans. This is a common question I like to ask. I wonder what your net profit margin is as a percentage of your revenues. If you bring in $100 in the top, how much ends up at the bottom? Our bottom line, we've always run pretty good. I'm running around 50 to 60% now. That is good. Uh-huh. And, uh, I mean, that's not that's not a bragging uh-huh. We just watch it. We don't overspend. We try to put back in, and we put back savings, and we want to make sure that, of course, obviously Uncle Sam is taken care of. Our obligations are taken care of. We handle 
everything. I mean, we've, we've educated our daughter and, and we certainly are not the, the answer to all of that. Uh, we've, we've emulated other great realtors across the United States over the last 15 years. We, we've emulated them and watched them and we've watched some that weren't so great or that rode a wave and just living payday to payday and spend every penny that you make is, is not a smart way to do business because there's no security for anyone in that. So, Again, I'm, I'm the money person. I watch that money and, you know, I still order the office supplies because I know what we're going to pay for a case of paper and what we're not. But that's just, that's how we, we've become profitable is just watching it and not overspending. So we, and I don't overhire. I think that we went through a phase probably in 2002 to 2006 where these people grew so large and they overhired and they overleveraged and they overspent and and while they were doing that we were watching those guys too so we tried not to fall into that trap and so far we've been very successful at that Rita what drives you there are a lot of different things that drive me and that's a that's a very deep question and I don't know that I necessarily know the answer to it I just I love my job. I love my family. Um, paying off debts is a great motivator to me. Building wealth is a good motivator to us. But the greatest thing that drives me is helping other people. And that's, that's the biggest key for us. Bob and I both feel that way. That's how we founded our business. If you don't focus on the dollars and you focus on the people, the dollars come. The profits come. The people, the people are what's important. And that's, I guess, how we've absolutely it hurts my feelings if I have a past client that doesn't use me. So that's a little insight to, I take that personally. What did I do wrong or why did I not deserve to get that call back? We don't get 100% of them, but we do get a very high percentage of them. Rita, why have you been so successful? I think because we're sincere. We care. And if anybody's going to get cheated in a deal, it's going to be us. I take that very personally. Character is what you do when no one's looking, and that's what Bob and I believe in. That's our motto. That's what we go by, and if it doesn't feel right, we're not going to do it. If it smells bad, looks bad, and tastes bad, it's probably bad, and we just walk away from it. We won't, we won't do anything that's not appropriate for our clients. It has nothing to do with us. It has to do with them, and we won't let a client lead us down a road that's not appropriate either. We don't want to fall prey to any of the money, any of the enticements. And I, I know that we've seen some realtors and different people over the years that have done that too. It's just not worth it. The reputation is what makes us successful because we want to keep that intact. You may not like what I have to say, but you know I'm telling you like it is. Rita, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Whatever firm they affiliate with, there's bound to be a top producing agent there or one that at least has been here for 10 years or more. You know, there's no pride in asking for help. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. You, you gotta ask for help. When I actually started as a realtor, I didn't partner up, but I did get a mentor. Somebody that I looked up to, that I respected, that had been a realtor for a long time. And she taught me a lot of those same things. She never abused or screwed over a client that I could tell. Me coming from the police background, Bob from a military background, 
that was very much instilled in us anyway. So the core value and ethics were important, honesty, trust, and integrity. Those are all the core values, and she had them. Look for somebody that has the core values that you want to follow, the business that you want to emulate, and shadow them. Let them be your mentor. I have mentors in this business, and I still have mentors in this business. And I will always have a mentor in this business. I don't think that we ever get big enough to not have one. I don't think we ever do enough business to not appreciate someone else's opinion, advice, or how to handle something and set up a good sphere of people, just even if it's a small one. As a new realtor, I did that. I set up a few people that I could call and tell them, hey, I'm new, I'm dumb, I'm young, I need to know. Will you help teach me along the way? Will you educate me? And they all said, yes, what a surprise. You know, and and learn from the people that are doing it the right way. Don't follow the, the easy way. Do you think the top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? They're invaluable, priceless. You can't put a price tag on them. This is how we learn, too. I don't even know that I'm a top agent mastermind, but thanks for the kudos. And I guess I've probably wasted a couple hours of your time. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the truth is, yeah, they're, they're absolutely invaluable. This is how we learn. This is how we picked up business. And this is how we have structured some of our business are exactly things like this. Some of the industry scrape that you've talked to were Believe it or not, they don't even know sometimes that they've already been interviewed somewhere and they're our mentors. They're people that we have followed or emulated. Uh, Pat Hyben, I believe, is one of yours. And uh, we've, we've watched Pat for years and years and years and absolutely a phenomenal person, incredible agent, and just has a stellar business that we're all looking to achieve. You know, you can't put a price tag on education. But you can certainly put a price tag on non-education. Well, Rita, you nailed it on the head. Education is priceless, and implementation is paramount. You've been willing to change with your market, try new approaches, tweak the winners, and capitalize on your successes. Your past client repeat and referral business is a testament to your mantra, Character is what you do when no one is looking. You have character, determination, persistence, and a winning attitude. You and Bob have built the foundation to a super successful enterprise. Thank you again for being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 102 homes last year. 90% from past clients and referrals. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV.
R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.